Hey, in our never-ending quest for truth, we're tackling another half-truth today. We're dealing with this important topic of the balance and the tension between speaking truth and doing it in love. What is the relationship between truth and love? And where is the church erring today? Uh, you're not going to want to miss this because I don't know of one Christian that hasn't struggled with, um, boy, if I, if I say what Jesus says about this particular issue, will it be perceived as being unloving? And so the temptation is, I'll just be quiet because the greater virtue, at least in some of our minds, is loving our neighbor. But we're going to talk today about how love and truth are are inter- intertwined, and you cannot separate them without destroying one or the other. And, uh, and you'll see the beauty of this interrelationship in our podcast today. So tune in. You're not going to want to miss this. Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. You know, we, we woke up this morning to a white Wednesday. Of course, we were recording this on Wednesday. You're hearing it tomorrow, but uh, first snow of the year. Um, actually, I was up in the middle of the night, my normal three o'clock go to the bathroom routine, which is what <laughs> happens when you get to be my age. And I looked out my window and I was like, oh my goodness, it was incredibly gorgeous. Well, technically it snowed yesterday. So we're still in October <laughs> and I, I had a legitimate complaint. There's no snow in October. November is allowable, but not in October. So, okay. Who are you complaining to? I don't know what's complaining. To my wife. <laughs> anyway, not ready for this it yet. was beautiful. Yeah. It will be gone uh, in a matter of hours because I, I, I think we're going to warm up a I bit. I need a few more 50, 60. I need to cut my grass. So I need <laughs> oh, more. You're, yeah. you're in big trouble. I, I was talking with Marion. We've got to get a bunch of our lawn furniture and all that kind of stuff in the garage, yeah. except there's already stuff in the garage that we have to get out of the garage. So maybe I'll be dropping off some like old furniture and stuff like that on your front yard. If you want to know where, you know, all that came from, it was because I had to clean up my garage to get my, my lawn furniture in. Yeah. That turns, this transition happened too quickly. We weren't ready for it. You know, I wasn't ready for it. I love the beauty. I really, I guess, yeah, you know, it was beautiful. for those of us that have been raised in Northwest Indiana, which you haven't, as we heard last Sunday, you're a Richmond boy. Right. And that's a funny story in and of itself. Cause when pastor Andrew, Andrew, some of you may or may not know, but I invited him to move to Crown Point and uh, to be a part of our family and part of our church family, which you did. And we hung out together for about four years, but I will never forget the first weekend you moved up. I said, hey, why don't you come with me? I had to go pick up one of my kids from Crown Point High School. And it was, we got hit with a swirl of, of snow. Remember that? It oh, was, I remember. It was swirling around the Crown Point High School uh, uh, front parking lot area there. And you and I said, what is Andrew doing? You jumped out of the car, you pulled out your, yeah. your cell phone, and you were videoing uh, like yeah. you'd never seen snow before. Well, back then, <laughs> that level of snow was a novelty. novelty. It was like really cool and fun. And then a couple of years later, I'm like, I'm over. <laughs> here, here, no more pictures for you. Shoveling, <laughs> scraping snow off my car. I'm like, I'm over it. <laughs> my thing is for people, you know what? Every area has its pros and cons. Like people, I'm moving out west to uh, Arizona. I'm like, yeah, you're going to... June, July, and August, you'll be sitting in your house because right. it's, it's like literally hell 
outside is so hot. So I always tell people, come on, we got we got a little bit of snow. It's going to last for a few months. Suck it up, enjoy it, and because uh, uh, spring our, spring is coming. Our kids like it, you know. They yeah. like the snow, and I like having a white Christmas almost every yeah. year. You know, yeah. it, it's definitely yes. I, I don't love the minus four degree wind chill. No, I no, get you, yeah. but we haven't. We maybe had a week of that the last few years. That's uh, true. That's uh, true. Uh, but that's all you need is a yes. week. That's that's more than enough. Hey, let's talk about uh, you know part of part of my passion in in uh, forming this podcast was to uh, be able to sit with someone like Pastor Andrew and actually look at what's going on in the world around us through the lens of a Christian worldview. And um, and our, our basic premise from the beginning of this podcast has been that um, a worldview based on Christ and based on the scriptures is rooted in truth, and therefore it's going to fit reality and explain reality and exp- explain all of life better than any other worldview. And if we can find another worldview that does a better job and is more true, then obviously we should discard a lesser true and and go for what is absolutely true. The problem is we've not ever been able to find a worldview that explains life better than Jesus and better than the Christian worldview. And so it's intellectually satisfying. And so we like to highlight you know, uh, what's going on in our world? And then look at that, you know, through the lens of Scripture. And obviously we had a massive win this past week uh, in that uh, Mike Johnson, uh, the representative from Louisiana, who I have been following him only because, you know, I work closely with the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, the Christian uh, lawyer group that supports pastors like me and other uh, Christian business owners and so forth that are being, you know, attacked for their faith. So Mike Johnson is a good guy. He's a constitutional lawyer. He's happily married. He has a beautiful family. He's faithful to his wife. Uh, he's been a great legislator from, from Louisiana, uh, a friend of, of uh, Liberty, across the board, pro-life. I mean, when he, when he emerged out of seemingly nowhere um, and then was able to coalesce the, uh, the kind of unity that was necessary for him to be elected as speaker, I think everybody was stunned, number one, because it hadn't been done, um, and number two, because it needed to be done. I mean, we're at a critical time with all this going on in the Middle East. We have a Congress that's basically not functioning, and, uh, and, and that's, not a, that's not good for, for America or for the rest of the world. So this was amazing. And then he did something that, was, that, that caused everybody on the opposite side of the aisle to instantly start throwing out the same press releases. And I just want to say this, I've been around long enough that whenever, uh, you can always tell when this, the side of righteousness is winning because everybody on the opposite side starts freaking out. Um, I remember when, you know, we talk about one of my favorite movies, which is The Patriot. Like, The Patriot, Love for America, homeschooling family, strong father, you know, sacrifice, uh, love for country. When that movie came out, everybody on the left was freaking out about it. Um, and I realized, oh, I got to go see this movie. <laughs> Endorsement for you. Yeah. It's like, yes, if yeah. they if they hate this movie, it must be awesome. And so that's the way all of us should feel with our new Speaker of the House. If, you, if the left hates him already, and all he did was simply give an acceptance speech, then what? What was in that speech that was so radical? Uh, and why do they hate him so much? Which means this guy must be God's man for the hour. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, basically, uh, after his speech, 
this is what uh, a, rep- a representative on the left had to say. He said, this is a slippery, dangerous slope to theocracy. Why? Because a welcome, he said, to the Republican era of not even pretending that they aren't forcing their religion on Congress and on the American people. So what was it that Mike Johnson said that would have be considered forcing religion on the American people and moving us towards theocracy, which is which is now, by the way, the buzzword. Two two buzzwords. Christian nationalist. <laughs> you're a Christian nationalist or you're a theocrat. So this is what he said. I want to tell all of my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in the room last night. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I believe that Scripture, the Bible, is very clear that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. So now he's talking about everybody in Congress. And I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in time. This should have been a rallying, unifying statement. Um, He said, this is my belief. So he personalized it. I believe that each one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the extraordinary people of this great country, and they deserve it. So what what a great framework, right? We're here, we're here by God's purpose and God's design, and we're here to serve these amazingly extraordinary people of the United States of America. There's a novel idea. Um, And this literally brought a firestorm of criticism. And the issue was, if you boil it all down, the issue is, who are you to even invoke God's name or to suggest that there is a God or to suggest that God is ruling over the affairs of men um, and so now, because you just simply bring your faith into the into the public arena, you're a theocrat, and you're now a threat. In fact, one one person actually on, on one of the news uh, outlets compared Mike Johnson to the uh, main shooter that was going around slaughtering people because that shooter said he heard voices, and obviously Mike Johnson as a Christian is on a similar plane because, uh, you know, he must be like hearing voices uh, simply for evoking Scripture or talking about his personal walk with God. I mean, to compare a, a Christian and someone who has been elected to Congress to a serial murderer, uh, I mean, like, this is just insanity and, and, and alarming. That And every Christian, every one of you listening to this podcast who's a believer and who's simply trying to bring your faith in the public should be deeply concerned that if they can do it to a, a congressional leader, the Speaker of the House, what what hope do you and I have? <laughs> right. I mean, right. you know, but, but, but what's crazy is, and we like to highlight the absurdity of all this, Number one, all he was doing was sharing a basic fundamental tenet of the Christian faith that there is a God and that he rules over the affairs of men. Now, if you're an atheist or you're a secularist, you, you hate that thought that there's somebody like really in control of the universe, right? But that, there's nothing radical about what Mike Johnson did. It was just he was just expressing his Christian worldview. So basically what the left says is keep your worldview out of politics, but they somehow miss the fact that their own worldview is completely welcome. And even when they 
make these comments. They're expressing their own worldview because there is no neutrality. Everybody brings a worldview that's fundamentally religious, whether they call it religious or not. And so it's the utmost of hypocrisy to suggest that if you're a Democrat or you're a progressive or you're a neo-Marxist, that you can go ahead and share your views. But if you're a Christian, somehow you're being a theocrat and you're forcing your religion upon everybody. I just like to point this out every now and then on this podcast mm-hmm. because the, the hypocrisy of the moment and, and this, the stunning, talk about bigotry. This is bigotry at its, at its best um, when somebody is simply vilified for sharing the basic fundamental beliefs that every Christian holds. And we're still talking about an America where most of the people claim to be Christian. So every Christian should be outraged uh, that our speaker, our new speaker is treated this way. But again, articles all over the place about um, him. But but many Christians are not. And there are many people, many people call themselves Christians will be on the, on the side of those critics. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. Good, good point. They aren't. We can't, we can't bring our faith and talk about Jesus. Can't be talking about religion and politics and all that stuff. And, uh, and so again, I think this takes us back to, um, the letter to the American church, because, uh, once again, this is the strategy of the left. Come out, call you names, uh, we use words that cause people to have a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, and, and again, th- this is all coordinated. Every single Democrat speaking out against Mike Johnson's appointment uh, or election, um, every single Democrat uses the same language. So it's like talking points. Uh, and it's that, it's that democratic propaganda machine where we're all going to use the same words and we're going to attack the Christians, we're going to attack people of faith, uh, we're going to freak out the public, um, and everybody now is using two, two phrases, Christian nationalism and theocracy, of which neither of these is, uh, is that true, you know, um, but, but that's, that's what they do. Uh, and so here, here we have exactly in America today what was going on in Germany during uh, uh, Bonhoeffer time and during Hitler's rise to power, it's a coordinated effort to silence through name-calling and through uh, fear-mongering. You know, by the way, everything on the left that they don't like, they put the word phobia after it. So, so, you know, we're we're accused of being afraid of them or their ideas, but they're the ones throwing these these verbal hand grenades uh, that cause everybody, wait a minute, he's a theocrat? Well, what's a theocrat? I don't know, but I think it's bad. Those Christians trying to shove their views on everybody's throat. Um, again, it would have been mind-boggling. Even the most liberal of the founding fathers, like Benjamin Franklin, said God controls the affairs of men, and if a sparrow can fall to the ground and he and him not know it, how can we raise up a, basically a nation without him not knowing it? Yeah. He appealed to the providence of God, to the sovereignty of God. Uh, so that shows you how how irreligious, how secular, and how anti-Christian um, Many uh, that are holding offices today are uh, have, and 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 how separated we are. Because I mean, this is stuff we all would have been able to say a hearty amen, and we would have viewed those words as pulling us together, not pushing us apart. Uh, but it's, but it's indicative again of a very divided America. Yeah, and I think we partially have to kind of we need to say as it is. I mean, they're demonstrating a religious zeal. They're speaking out a philosophical worldview. Yep. Um, you can't hide behind the guise of science or whatever social data you want to use because even science is based on philosophy. 
there's a philosophy behind that. And and the simple retort will be everyone speaks out a certain philosophy worldview, like you said. Yeah. And and okay, so you disagree with Mike Johnson's worldview? What is his religion? What is your religion? Right. You're a zealot for your religion, for your worldview. You pro- uh, boldly proclaim your worldview, and your he's saying God's one who ordained us to have authority and power today. What does your worldview say? Is it out of chance? Is it out of random chance? Is it out of yeah. your own your own ability? Is it out of your own wisdom, your own strength? You have your worldview. Well, and what I love about him is he just what you said. He's not threatened by this. He actually expects it. And I think that's what I would say to all of our listeners. We got to stop being this. Some say, oh, you're at the aircraft. Oh, and then we get on the defensive posture. Oh, well, let me try to explain myself. I'm really not trying to do this. Right, right. I'm really a nice guy. Oh, stop it. Right. Uh, don't even give them the benefit exactly. of that. There's no good point. Just, just, Simba says, hey, you fact, got your religion, I got mine. Yeah, be, be more mm-hmm. bold about what you believe. Yeah. Stand up boldly for, for where we stand on these issues. Stop being so thin-skinned, and we got automatic got to explain ourselves. They're not looking for an explanation. They're attacking you. Yep. And they're trying to destroy you. And the sooner we figure that out, the better. So let's use that as a launch pad, I guess, for a little bit of a review. Basically, what Metaxas is doing is is he's highlighting um, common myths or errors that the church in Germany had embraced that led to their demise and led to a Holocaust. And he's comparing it to the American church today. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this faulty faith. Talk, talk, talk For anybody that's maybe tuning in for the first time today, what do we mean when we say a faulty faith uh, as opposed to a real, genuine, authentic, biblical faith? Yeah, we talk about basically cheap grace that under the guise of uh, the grace, the infinite grace of God, all you do is confess that, you know, Jesus Christ is your Savior, and then your behaviors, what you do, does not matter anymore because every sin you commit is now automatically washed under the blood of Jesus Christ. You know? So your personal behavior in terms of living a righteous life doesn't matter, but also your public engagement doesn't matter. Doesn't in matter, other words, right. all that matters is, well, yeah, I believe the Bible. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Right. I believe in uh, Lutheran theology or whatever, speaking back to Germany at the time, which was largely Lutheran. Um, we go back to our statement of faith, our creeds, and as long as we're doctrinally you know, uh, perfect, Aligned, uh, you, yeah. know, you know, uh, we're orthodox, uh, we're not heretical, then everything's okay. And, right. and so we, we basically remove ourselves of any kind of responsibility to correct injustices. Uh, the second thing he said, which we talked about last week, was this whole idea of the idol of evangelism. Fle- flesh that out a little bit for someone that maybe didn't listen uh, to last week's podcast. Yeah, and, and apparently that's a kind of inflammatory comment. Um, <laughs> How can we make an idol out of something um, so good? So good, right? And and I think the... <laughs> Even the fact that that's inflammatory is highlighting how we have turned the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is which is includes evangelism, but so much more than evangelism right. is really taking is is, t- is making disciples, teaching people to obey. It, it, it's is permitting his kingdom, his uh, God's kingdom, his character, his ways yeah. throughout all c- culture to this simple of hey, how many people raise their hand and confess their Jesus? Okay, we're good to go. We're done. It's it, it, the idol evangelism. It becomes almost like a people pleasing 
um, right. ceremonial thing to get as many people who uh, acquiesce to that they believe in the gospel and then what they do and how they live no longer matters. Yep. And we talked about this. It's the difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Yep. If you believe in a gospel of salvation, then you're not going to get your hands dirty with politics. You're not going to touch on anything that might be controversial because God forbid that we offend somebody. If we offend somebody, they won't be able to hear us share the gospel with them or they'll think we're mean and not nice people and all that kind of stuff. misrepresent Jesus because Jesus is such a nice guy won't ever offend anybody. And Jesus wasn't political. Uh, and we forget that the, the political leaders in Jesus' day were also the religious leaders. They yes. were one and the same. And Jesus had a lot of strong things to say to the political slash religious leaders of his day. Yeah. But the point again is the gospel is much broader than getting saved and then waiting for heaven to happen after yeah. you die or at the return of Christ. And so, you know, Metaxas brings out this point. Where would these folks have been with the issue of slavery? Are we just going to share Christ with the slaves and then leave them in their slavery and their bondage? Or do we actually seek to stop this unjust practice of slavery? And so the, the list goes on and on of, of social injustices. And bottom line is, if you make an idol out of evangelism, you'll never lift a finger to be a part of reformation, anything about cultural reformation or transformation, because God forbid you're going to talk about something controversial from the pulpit that might offend somebody. Yeah. And so that's an idol, because we have to speak the truth, and we have to speak the truth in love, which is re really where we're at today. Um, his third issue is this whole issue of how do we balance speaking truth and love. And he starts off his chapter by, by Pilate's you know, ironic question. Here Pilate is standing before Jesus, who is, who is the epitome of truth. He is truth personified. And he looks at Jesus and says, what is truth? Uh, it's the skeptic's view. It's, it's the moral relativism of our day. There is no such thing as truth. Or if there is, we can't know it. Uh, and so let's all just be pluralists and, and relativists. And that's a great, great point because if you think about the Roman philosophy... Okay, and I, I'm not a Roman history scholar, but based on what I know, it's their philosoph philosophy could probably come down to might is right. right? We yeah, have the military prowess. <laughs> you guys don't obey us, we're going to crucify you and your family and your kids. So you better obey. If you obey, we'll live in, you know, yeah, under our rule. Go good. You're good. And, and whoever's in power, I'm more in power, I'm going to kill you, I'll be the next Caesar. You know, it's a might as, might as right uh, form of belief of government and and their gods, their you know those Greek Roman gods reflect yep. that same worldview, but so but but at the heart of that might is right, meaning there is no truth. There's no transcendent governing right. truth because whatever's the most powerful changes from here to here. And Metaxas, to, to make your point, Metaxas brings out the difference between truth with a capital tree and mm -hmm. merely facts. Yeah. The facts would say, we're in charge, we make up the rules. Yep. Um, but what we're saying as Christians is that truth is personal. Truth is a person. It's embodied in Jesus. And even as Jesus is the truth, Jesus is also love with a capital L. Mm -hmm. So the point is you can't separate love and truth because they both uh, coalesce in one man. His name is Jesus, who is the embodiment of both truth and love. So Metaxas's point, which is well taken, is if you if you try to separate 
the truth of God from the love of God, you do damage to both. It's like trying to uh, to remove your brain right from your body um, or remove your heart. You need you need both your brain and your heart. You can't separate them. They both have to be functioning. It's the same thing with truth and love. Um, truth being our head, love being our heart. They they have to go together. And if you if you try to separate them, like you say, well, you, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna minimize truth. We're not gonna speak the truth because we really want to just love people. Are you really loving people at that point? And and again, I believe the biblical argument would be no. You you cannot demonstrate love apart from truth, but you also cannot demonstrate truth apart from love. And I I, I remember reading a great article on this topic by um, by John Piper. He makes four points that I think are worth stating today. He says there's at least four ways of talking about this relationship between how love and truth relate to each other. The first point he makes is that truth aims at love. Uh, in other words, the, the whole focal point of speaking truth is because you love people. First Timothy 1 verse 5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so when we speak truth, it's because we love people. That's the aim. Um, and, and we need to make sure that the focal point of our truth is aiming at really, truly loving someone. Secondly, he says, uh, love aims at truth. So it's a reciprocal relationship. And he quotes 1 Corinthians thirteen six: Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. And so anybody that says they're loving somebody will always rejoice when truth wins out. In other words, love aims at truth, and so love celebrates the truth. So let's just look at some of the issues of our day that Metaxas points out. Like, how can you say you love somebody that that is in gender confusion? There, there, there may be a, a young man who really th- thinks he's a woman. And we say, well, let's just love love him. Let's just embrace, you know, his, who he thinks he authentically is. That's not love because love always aims at the truth and it rejoices when truth wins out. Uh, and the other side of the coin is also true. If we really love that person, we're going to speak truth because that's how we express love is through truth. Third point he makes Love shapes how we speak the truth. And he quotes here Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And so I think we're stating the obvious here, and it's usually what's used against folks who are truth tellers. Um, People will always say, well, good is it if you beat people up with the truth? Well, good point. I mean, nobody should be beating people up with truth. So certainly how we share matters. Our motives matter. I think this contention is often I see in the Christian world. You right. got you got people who are maybe a little more empathetic Christians who will go speak to the other side and say, "Hey, you guys are not being loving. You're just being truth. You're just just speaking the truth." You know, whereas they might be lacking truth. And then you got the more prophetic side who are kind of like, "Here's the truth. Right. Here's the truth." And like Metaxas makes a good point. He says. I like how he says that basically Jesus is, is truth and love. And truth and love is not principles. It's a person, which trans- kind of blows your mind a little bit. Because right. when you think about truth, I'm thinking about like, you know, something people wrote down. Propositions. A script. Yeah. Yeah. A, the Ten Commandments. Right. And, and Metaxas says actually the greatest, greatest, uh, not even embodiment, the evidence, the greatest form of truth and love is Jesus, Jesus. himself. Yeah. It's a person which 
it's so weird for me. But but in other words, they, they're inseparable. They're the same right. thing. And, so, and, yeah, go ahead. If I ask you in, in the church today, do you think the majority of people are guilty of emphasizing truth to the neglect of love or emphasizing love to the neglect of truth? I think in the greater evangelical church today, from what I've seen, they are leaning towards love to the neglect of yeah, truth. I would say, in my own opinion, your yeah. Yeah. opinions for whatever yeah. they're worth, yeah. I would say to a massive mm-hmm. uh, extreme. I mean, like, it's not even close. Mm-hmm. The, the, everybody brings out that point. Well, you Christians, you're so mean. You, you know, you, you're so hateful. You beat people overhead with the Bible. We just need to love people. Who's doing that? I mean... I don't see anybody in, in the public. This uh, look at there, you guys go again. All you pastors, all you pastors on these talk shows, you're beating people. The problem no, is no, no. there might be like one or two isolated incidents, right. and that incident is highlighted, is in your face. It becomes all the, the time. straw man yes, argument. Yes, absolutely. But our, if we're trying to have a corrective, like we're trying to help heal the church today, we need to be talking about why. And this is what Metaxas is doing. Why aren't we speaking the truth? Not truths, not our personal opinion. Like, like what, what Mike Johnson is doing is he's appealing to the fact that Christianity believes in truth with a capital T. There is a God. He rules over the affairs of men. He raises up. He sets down. That's the truth. Now, you might not agree with him, but he's not going to shrink back from simply speaking it. And he certainly did it in a very winsome, kind way. Um, but the problem, again, is not truth speakers. It's people that try to separate uh, the love of Jesus from the truth that's in the gospel. And I think the, the part of Metaxas really kind of hit me hard is that he's, uh, my understanding of what Metaxas, which I agree is kind of a revelation to me, is if you separate truth from love, that is no longer truth. So exactly. it's not it's not a dem, demi-truth or half-truth. It's not truth at all. And same thing for love. Yep. If you separate truth from love, you can call it love all you want. There is no love. If my son says, you know, I'm going to eat all the candy, you know, I ever want. And I'm just like, I just want to be loving. And there's no truth about cavities and about no sugar. Yeah. Yeah. That's no longer loving. So so it's not even a minor form of love. It's not even like, well, we're just less loving. It's not love at all. And that's kind of what what I'm like, whoa, we are, we are, this is kind of a a zero one thing. You're either love or you're not love. And you take truth out, it's no longer love. I don't know what it is. It ain't love. And that's probably fourth point which I'll hit here truth shapes how we show love and he quotes first John chapter 5 verse 2 by this we know that we love uh, love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments yeah. for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome so for the Christian love does not war against truth love reigns through truth. This is so powerful. It's just what you said. If you say you love God, then you have to obey the Lord. So we don't embrace wickedness. We don't embrace things God calls an abomination in the name of love. We stop loving at that point because love and truth go hand in hand. And so you love somebody enough to tell them the truth. You can do it in a kind way. You can do it in a gentle way, but you must do it or you're not loving that person. So you make a good point. And, and we have to have both. And they have to be kept in perfect balance and tension. In fact, when we try to love our neighbors apart from truth, what Metaxas says is we are, in fact, cursing and damning them. Yeah. 
which is just what you brought up. You're not loving your son when he's a diabetic at, you know, at the age of 10 because he eats a diet of only sugar. Um, right. Th- that's not love. And of course, we're, that's just a, a health issue. Abuse. We're talking about people's souls, right. which is on a whole nother level. Right. Um, he says, so uh, not to speak an uncomfortable truth to someone who needs to hear it and giving the excuse that we are loving them is not to love them, but actually to harm them. Uh, so he says here, there are two ways someone can actually err. One is to speak so much truth with so little love that he's not actually speaking the truth. The other is to speak so much, uh, so much love with no truth and actually not be speaking and not be loving at all. And so, you know, he asked the question, and, and I'm glad I passed his test. Uh, he said, hey, pastors, are you speaking about the issues of our day? Are you telling the truth? For instance, about gender. Are you telling the truth, for instance, about marriage? Are you telling the truth about sexuality? Or are you avoiding those things? And uh, again, I'm grateful we have talked about these things, and I did a whole series preaching into these things, because we it's the job of the pulpit to speak the truth in love so that people can hear the truth and be transformed by the truth. If there is no truth, there's no transformation. And if there's no transformation, there's no gospel. I mean, there's no hope for people. Uh, And I think that's the question he's calling us to. Now, let me just also mention, we're not called to speak truth just because we're trying to stir things up. We're not called to be contentious. We're called to be peacemakers. Um, But you cannot make peace apart from truth. We're not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers emphasize love and avoid the issues and just try to, to, to keep everybody at, at arm's length. That's not, that's not uh, what God wants either. Uh, we're to be peace uh, makers. Mm-hmm. You cannot make peace without truth being, becoming the plumb line that everybody rallies around. And so you know, we're not, even on this podcast, we're not trying to, to be inflammatory, throw grenades to the other side, uh, stir up controversy. Uh, those are ungodly characteristics. But the, the truth of the matter is, if you stand for truth, you will have separation, you will have conflict, you will have attacks. Um, it happened to Jesus, who was the, the embodiment of truth, as you pointed out. And I think Jesus would say to us, hey, guys, gals, why do you think you're going to get a different result than I got when I was perfect truth and perfect love and they nailed me to a cross? Mm. So I think we need to stop, you know, I had to get over this. I, I, I spoke down at the state house and I testified on marriage and I testified on gender and I testified on a lot of things. And when I, when I walked out of the, of the room that day, the chambers, a openly homosexual man yelled at me. He said, why do you hate me? And I, I looked around. I didn't even know who was talking to me. And I finally saw who it was, and I walked over there, and I said, excuse me? He said, why do you hate me? And I said, I don't hate you. I said, the fact that I drove two and a half hours to come down and to testify and to share the gospel is because I actually love you. But it's manipulation. It's you don't like me. You, You won't accept me. And it's like, no, no, no. I love you so much, I'm willing to come tell you the truth so that hopefully you'll hear the truth, because if you'll hear the truth, the truth can actually set you free. The truth has the power to transform and to change your heart and to give you a different identity. So, but, but it was that manipulative spirit. First of all, we're going, to con- we're going to condemn you for not loving me, which is a lie. 
And then secondly, after I condemn you and silence you, then I'm going to push my agenda forward. And eventually my goal is actually to attack you and shut you up and silence you and punish you for not agreeing with my lifestyle. Uh, that's where truth comes in. And, th- and that's what we have to be willing to fight for. Um, he says, when we're being silent in the face of evil, we're therefore partaking in the evil. And he says, we know this is absolute madness, talking about like all the gender craziness. Everybody knows it's madness. He asked the question, who has the courage to say it? The emperor's without any clothes. Well, who's going to tell the emperor you're naked and not and not flinch? And I think that's the 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 part of the church, and not just in the pulpit, because you know obviously Metaxas is talking about guys like me and guys like you. But it goes beyond the pulpit. It goes into the marketplace. It goes into anything with public in front of it. It takes guts to stand up and say, "Hey, emperor, you're naked." Um, this is madness. This is insanity. This is absolute craziness. Men cannot menstruate. Men cannot f- breastfeed. Men don't have periods. Men don't get pregnant. Um, this is insanity. Uh, a man cannot be a woman. A woman cannot be a man. There are not 160 gazillion genders. There's two genders. I mean, just saying the obvious today can get you fired. And I think that's his point. Are, are, are we so ashamed of the gospel and so ashamed of the scriptures and what the Bible teaches about things that are as obvious as the nose on your face that we cannot stand up any longer and just simply state the truth and then take the, take the heat that's going to come from it? It's, it? Let me just say this. It's actually easier for me to stand up in the pulpit because it's expected of me to at least have some semblance of speaking from the Bible. What's harder is for the guy that's out there, a public school teacher or, or, or a professor at a university or just someone in the trades or somebody, uh, I, I don't know where you work, in the medical profession. I mean, how about being a medical doctor and simply saying there's two genders? I mean, that, that's, again, incredibly obvious. It's scientific, but to do so, you could lose your job today, depending on where you're at. Yeah, and that's the kind of courage that that we're challenging our listeners to have. Like that's that spiral of silence again. If you don't speak, the last frontier that's going to be trampled down, the last fence that's going to be kicked over, is the church, the local church. The marketplace is where the battle's happening, and that's where I want to speak to our listeners today. Um, do you have the courage to speak up in the marketplace? Basic truths without flinching, without shame, without feeling sorry that somehow you actually articulated the truth um, and uh, and being willing to take the consequences. And then as I've shared in our congregation, you're not going to take the consequences alone. Uh, we'll call a press conference. We'll show up with our congregation with 1,500 people at your place of employment and we'll fight for you. Um, but nevertheless, you've got to have the courage. You've got to have the guts um, you have to have the moral conviction and clarity to state the obvious or or we're guilty of everything what taxes is talking about. And I think the issue is a lot of people in the marketplace are thinking, wait, the spiritual heads, the leaders are not speaking of these things. Right. We, we should be inspiring people <laughs> right. and modeling it right. for sure. If this ch- national organization, church leader is not speaking about these things, why, why, how, how do I have the platform to speak about these things? 
And again, the spiral silence starts with leadership. Where's the leaders who yep. should be speaking first about these things, yep. right? And, and so, hey, we're, we've made a commitment that's non-negotiable for us. And, and to the best of our ability, we want to preach the whole counsel of God, and we want to talk about these issues, even though there will be attacks. But Paul said this, Second Thessalonians 2.10. He's talking about uh, uh, an evil deception coming upon uh, people's lives. And here's why. Because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So how do you set somebody free from deception? You speak truth. How do you give people hope for transformation? You have to speak the truth. Yes, we speak it in love, but we have to speak the truth. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. Now, here's the problem. When the pulpit is not ringing with truth, you attract people who don't want to hear the truth. And you attract pastors who simply feed people this love without truth gospel. Um, and what happens is deception falls over a congregation. Um, God forbid. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. God is the author of truth. Jesus is truth personified. And you cannot have a New Testament church without not only speaking the truth, but how about this? Loving the truth. Let's be people who love the truth. Um, and that's our challenge for you and today. loving the truth is not just loving some principle, it's loving Jesus. It's loving Jesus. Amen. And being willing to embrace the shame and the reproach that he had to endure for simply speaking the truth. Uh, may we have the same courage. So thanks for tuning in today. Hope you'll like this podcast and share it with as many people as you can. Uh, next week when we come together, we'll be talking about another um, massive, massive issue. Uh, is be, is speaking the truth, being political. Oh, I'm sure that's kind of unrelatable to today, but hey. Not controversial at all. <laughs> yeah, not controversial at all. We'll pick that up next week. <laughs>